Today on Blue 58, we often say there are no style points in the box score, but you know what else you're not going to find in the box score today? Points of any kind for the Seattle Seahawks. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. 17-0, Packers win and... I'm pretty satisfied with that. Let's say, just as a for instance, if I came to you in July, let's say for the purposes of this, for instance, I have a time machine. I come to you in July, say July 13th, and I say, look, I can only tell you one very specific thing about the future. I'll, I'll give you two, just as a gesture of goodwill. First, everything that's going on with Aaron Rodgers, it's going to be fine. It's actually going to get a lot weirder, but it's going to be fine for the short term. Um, it's going to be quite a ride though. But the thing I came here to tell you was that in week 10, the Packers are going to beat the Seahawks by three scores, even though Aaron Rodgers looks really, really bad in the game. What would you think of that? What would you have thought at the time if you could have known ahead of time that the Packers would beat the Seahawks pretty comfortably in the end? The offense would look pretty terrible throughout most of the game, and yet the defense, the defense would power the Packers to a convincing win. You'd probably feel pretty good about that, right? And that's kind of where I've tried to get myself to after this game, because it was, for a lot of this game, pretty ugly. An ugly, ugly game. And yet, a masterclass. They got a brilliant performance from a running back. They've got an outstanding performance now on the books from the defense. Two in a row, really. They had a diverse pass rush in this game. They shut down what the Seahawks do really well going deep. They all but erased Russell Wilson as he made his overdramatic return to the football field. It was a great game in a lot of ways. So with respect to what we said in the opening, that there are no style points in the box score, Sometimes you just got to work to get yourself to that bottom line right away. And the bottom line is that the Packers won. They got to 8-2. and two. They probably ended the Seahawks season. And they did it despite never really finding themselves. And that's something I got to keep reminding myself in this game. The Packers are still a work in progress. And they're still winning despite playing weird games seemingly on a weekly basis. I joked a couple previews ago that I've got to stop saying, well, we'll never see anything like this again in reference to this Packers season, because we're seeing weird stuff week in and week out, it seems like. Just as a recap, in week one, they lost to the Saints on the road, not in New Orleans, but in Jacksonville, 38-3. to Okay, burn the tape on that game. They bounced back with the win over the Lions. Pretty standard stuff there. You expect to beat the Lions. But the next week, they handle the San Francisco 49ers until the 49ers rally, But then the Packers get a chance to rally themselves, and Aaron Rodgers drives the Packers for a game-winning field goal with 37 seconds to go. Then they've got that wildness against the Bengals a couple weeks later, five missed field goals, whatever that was in overtime, 25-22. Weird enough score there at the end. Then they beat the Cardinals on the road in a weird game because of COVID, and then they lose Aaron Rodgers for a game due to COVID and everything that goes along with that. And now, a shutout victory over the Seattle Seahawks. 
I guess at a certain point, you got to stop expecting the Packers to have a normal day at the office. And maybe that's just how this season is going to be. At this point, it's not really clear if and when some of the big names are going to be coming back for the Packers. They've said some nice things about Zedarius Smith, but it's not a guarantee that he's ever going to be back. And we're kind of getting that same impression about Jair Alexander, minus the good things that they've been saying, because they really haven't said all that much that sounds super positive about him coming back to the team. And yet, and yet, and yet, you've got an 8-2 and two team through 10 weeks. And it's hard to not feel really, really good about that. So let's talk about some good things coming out of this game. We have to start with the defense. How do you want to slice it? Do it just about any way, and you're going to find a great defensive performance. Points, zero. Hard to beat that. First shutout of the Matt LaFleur era. Last shutout win for the Packers was a 22-0 win over the Buffalo Bills in 2018. It is, according to my research, the fourth 17-0 shutout in team history. There's a very specific stat for you. How about total yards? Well, they held the Seahawks to 208 total yards, three and a half per play. Pretty darn good there. Passing yards, 161 on the day, and it took Russell Wilson 40 attempts to get there. That is gross passing, by the way. Net passing, he's even less there because he lost about 30 yards on a few sacks. Pass rush, three sacks on the day. Five quarterback hits, one each by five different players. What about plays on the ball? We track ball hawks. Two interceptions, seven passes defensed. A great day for the Packers defense. Joe Barry has the defense executing and playing to their potential. What is that we always said about Mike Penton's defenses with the Packers? It seemed like they were always less than the sum of their parts. Well, with a bunch of those parts missing, the Packers defense is putting together a darn good performance this year. That speaks to some really great coaching. And I've got to have a big mea culpa on Joe Barry for right now, at least, because he has this defense playing extraordinarily well. You've got to keep in mind what we expect from a defense in 2021 with the game heavily, heavily slanted in the offense's favor. What a good defensive performance is, is way different than it used to be. But even by those sort of curved assessments for what a good defense is. The Packers have been lights out the last couple weeks. They corralled Kyler Murray. They slowed down an albeit struggling uh, Chiefs offense. They stopped the Seahawks from doing really anything that they do well. And yes, it was Russell Wilson's first game back, but there was really no situation where the Packers were in danger of having this game get away from them. The offense did just enough to keep it out of reach, and the defense took care of the rest. What a performance, really season-long for this Packers defense. Outside of week one, it has looked phenomenal. Next good thing I think we should mention is A.J. Dillon. This was probably not better than the Tennessee game last year, but he did a lot well in this game. 66 yards on 21 attempts isn't going to wow anybody overall, but he converted a lot of short yardage, obvious run situations, and he just continues to impress in the passing game. A great all-around performance for the young running back in this one. According to Aaron Nagler on Twitter, uh, he says Dylan became just the fourth Packer since the 1970 merger to register 60-plus receiving yards, two-plus rushing touchdowns, and 60-plus receiving yards in a game. Aaron Jones has done it twice, Amon Green has done it twice, and Dorsey Levins did it once. 
that is pretty good company. The final thing that I thought went really well for the Packers in this one was the ability or the ability they showed to finish. The Packers controlled the ball more or less for 13 of the last 16 minutes of game time, give or take. And in those 13 minutes, they had an 11-play, 42-yard drive that ended with a touchdown. It started with about a minute to go in the third and ended with about 10 minutes to go in the fourth. After a short possession from the Seahawks, they followed that up with a 10-play, 76-yard drive that also ended in a touchdown. And if you're going to put a game away, especially one that is tight late in the third quarter, 3 to nothing at that point, that is a heck of a way to do it. Just draining the clock, pounding the ball down the field, and getting the ball into the end zone. Suddenly it goes from 3 to nothing to 17 to nothing, and just soaks up all the available time. But there was some bad in this game. And maybe not so much bad sometimes as weird. Bad, though, I think we can we can talk about Aaron Rodgers. And the weather wasn't great tonight, but he was rough throughout. Clearly, he needed more in practice. And it's not exactly clear to me why or what may have contributed to him being a little bit rough today, but it, it was a rough go for Aaron Rodgers. Some concerns, well, one big concern is his deep ball. He cannot seem to connect with anybody deep down the field, specifically Marquez Valdez-Scantling. He missed him on one deep shot. He did hit him down the sideline, kind of on a cover two beater pretty early on, but a better throw, that's probably a touchdown. It doesn't seem to be an arm strength thing. It's just he's kind of scattershot throwing the ball deep, and it's not really clear why. But even worse than the deep balls was the interception. And it was so wildly out of character. The decision, the throw, who he was throwing to, Josiah DeGuara, it just seemed like completely out of left field. And yet, he put that ball up there like he was throwing a really short-range punt into the end zone. That's like Brett Favre stuff. Favre didn't care at all whether he threw interceptions. Aaron Rodgers cares a lot. And yet here he is throwing up a pass like that in the red zone of all places. Just completely out of character and a a complete head scratcher. Finally, special teams. Again, there were some bright spots. Amari Rodgers had a couple nice returns, although one return where he fielded the ball on the run and then was immediately tackled. Very concerning. Very dangerous play. But again, another miss for the Packers' field goal operation. And this one looked like just a straight-up miss for Mason Crosby. Laces looked fine on the replay. But, man, just cannot get this thing figured out. And if you start to look at things like that, like uh, a a missed field goal there, Aaron Rodgers throwing an interception in the end zone, suddenly 17 to nothing seems like a almost a misnomer for this game. Because really, a couple plays go slightly differently, and you're teetering on the bridge of uh, the, the border of a blowout. Say, just for instance, Crosby makes that field goal, and miraculously, Josiah DeGora comes down with that touchdown. 27 to nothing? That's a thumping. 
And it speaks to, I guess, how the Packers really controlled this game. Yet they left opportunities there for the Seahawks to claw their way back in. Finally, I guess we got to talk injuries. Just a real bummer. Absolute, well, super annoying part of the game. It is part of the game, sure. People are going to get hurt. But that doesn't mean you have to like it. Aaron Jones, a spray and MCL timeline is going to be an it depends type, type thing. I would think he'll be back at some point this season, probably looking at later rather than sooner. And if they can get by with A.J. Dillon and company in the meantime, they'll just give him all the time that he needs to get back in the lineup. No sense rushing him back when they're 8-2. and two, And they've got, um, well, a bye week not all that far off here. A couple of games to go before then, but uh, it's coming. Um, then you've got Rashawn Gary with the hyperextended elbow. No structural damage. Good. But such a bummer. Again, he was really coming on. Just getting better and better, it seemed like, week in and week out. Um, and now this. And finally, Whitney Merciless. Don't know what the deal is there. Reported as a biceps injury. Haven't gotten any updates since then. If it's a tear, that'd be it for him this season. And that would really be a shame, both for him getting out of Houston and getting to a great opportunity in Green Bay but also because the Packers' edge rusher situation is in bad shape right now with Merciless and Gary potentially setting up to miss some time, at least you'd think a couple weeks in the short term. It's it's rough, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But overall, what does this mean? The big question, what does it all mean? Well, it means the Packers are 8-2, as we've mentioned a couple times already, but it means the the Packers are really in position to come up to take advantage of a lot of the other things going on throughout the the NFC. As it stands right now, the only other one-seed contenders are Dallas and Arizona, right there with the Packers at the tops of their respective um, division. I guess you can throw the Rams in there too, and we're probably going to be hearing a lot about the Rams as this season goes on. Uh, But as it stands right now, Dallas and Arizona, the the team's really pushing for for the one-seed. Uh, Dallas won this week to go to seven and two. Arizona did too. They are eight and two, but the Packers have the head-to-head tiebreaker, obviously, over them. So the Packers still have some time to f- figure things out. They're keeping pace with the other contenders, and they're still going to be getting some some help as David Bakhtiari works his way back, and hopefully, guys like Jair Alexander and Zadaria Smith work their way back too. What's up next? Minnesota Vikings coming to Lambeau Field. Finally get a look at the Vikings this year in person. They should not go this long without playing a divisional opponent. That is a a thing for another day, though. Uh, The Vikings did win today. They are now 4-5 and on the season. And again, it is just about time the Packers played them. Early kick next week. And again, about time. 425 slot on Eastern time is just the worst. And I cannot wait to get back to noon kicks and a couple primetime games coming up too. If you got kids, you understand how awful 425 is as a time slot. Running into dinner time and bath time and bedtime and just give me a break. Get me to a time slot where we can actually enjoy watching a football game, maybe as a family. Who knows? Um, very small, you know, play the world's smallest violin for me. But still, gosh, it's just the worst. Um, speaking of that time slot, though, I'm starting to wonder if the Packers-Rams game two weeks from now, and this is the cart way before the horse, but wonder if that game could get flexed to an evening kickoff. 
Uh, currently, that is a 425 game as well. But given the way those two teams are headed, I wonder if NBC might like to, uh, to nab that one. We'll see. Random thoughts and observations, then we'll let you get on with your Monday. Uh, circling back to Aaron Rodgers' performance, it's one thing that the passing game struggled overall, but if you're going to be inconsistent passing the ball, at least get some big chunks. And the Packers were able to do that, both naturally, just in the course of their, their standard passing game and manufacturing some on screen plays. Uh, the Packers moved the ball in big chunks through the air at times. Devontae Adams had a big catch and run. Marquez Valdez-Scantling did too. And then A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones both had nice big chunk plays on screen plays. Um, so that those set up points for the Packers, that is a good way to do it. If you can't be consistent, at least get big chunks that are going to help you get the ball down the field. A couple of nice firsts in this game. Whitney Merciless got his first sack with the Packers, potentially his last two, but we'll focus on the positive right now. Got his first with the Packers, hopefully the first of many. Patrick Taylor got his first career carries, two for seven yards. He played eight snaps on special teams last week against the Chiefs, but did not get a carry. It's been a long road to get him to this point, and it looks like he may have a bigger opportunity on the horizon. In any case, it was nice to see him get get a couple carries in this one. Also a first for tight end Tyler Davis, getting his first career catch. He played eight games with Jacksonville last year and had been in the lineup pretty consistently for the Packers this year on special teams, but had not made much of an impact on offense. That changed today. He got a four-yard check down on a second-and-five play in the first quarter. First catch for him. Very happy for him because that's a, that's a lot of fun, keeping track of stuff like that, and uh, love seeing guys get opportunities. The edge rusher situation uh, is going to need some work this week. I would presume, uh, well, let's talk about the state of things first, but before we talk about what they, we presume they're going to do. First, currently, the only healthy edge rushers they have are Preston Smith and Jonathan Garvin. So th- something's got to happen here. What are your options? Two right off the bat. On the practice squad, you've got Tipa Nalii. And if not now, when for Tipa? I... If if he can't get to the roster this week, when is it going to happen? Who knows? Uh, but in terms of another option, a guy who's actually played in the game or in a game for the Packers this year might want to look Ladarius Hamilton's way. He was just released. He may be making his way back to Green Bay. Ah, the trials and travails of a low-end roster player. Who knows where you're going to end up on a given week? A good chance it's going to be right back where he came from them's the breaks. Um, the Packers today, even prior to his injury, seem to have a really hard time getting Aaron Jones going. He is pretty much an outside-only back at this point, and I think that is primarily because of the Packers' struggles in the uh, interior offensive line. Uh, but he really got the short end of the, end of the stick due to the Packers' practice of rotating their running backs possession by possession. And I'm starting to wonder if that's a good idea, because They had to be really intentional about having him do anything just because of how the game broke down. uh, A.J. Dillon had a fairly long drive. Then the Packers eventually had to punt or miss a field goal or whatever. Uh, Then the Seahawks come back and do whatever they did. Aaron Jones in for the next drive. It's a three and out. And suddenly A.J. Dillon's in for the next drive, taking up snap after snap after snap, and Jones not really getting into the game. They really had to focus on getting him the ball, and that – Seems like a missed opportunity there because he's still a really talented player, even if he's um, 
not as effective inside this year because of things outside his control, it's it's an approach I think worth revisiting if that's how it's going to break down for you. So something the Packers may want to to keep an eye on here in the future. It might be nothing, but Aaron Rodgers kind of over the past couple of years, and especially this year, seems extra susceptible to getting his passes tipped at the line of scrimmage. He had two today in the span of five plays, one of which nearly led to an interception. I don't know if there's anything he can do about that or if anything the offensive line is doing that could be leading to that. It's just a little bit weird, and I keep noticing it, so I thought I would mention it today. Uh, We've talked at times over the past couple years about the Packers' pony uh, personnel groups. That's two two running backs in the formation. Uh, We've seen it a lot this year with uh, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon lining up in the backfield together. With Jones hurt, we saw a unique configuration of that two-back set today. We saw Josiah DeGuara as the other back, and he's really technically a fullback more than a tight end. But I, I, I definitely noticed it because that's a pretty muscular backfield. You've got 240-something pound A.J. Dillon and just about the same size Josiah DeGuara there. That's a lot of beef in the backfield. And uh, they ran a little power play out of shotgun, which is an interesting look. Uh, an interesting execution always if you're running a lead blocker out of out of shotgun. But it, it's worth keeping an eye on because if, if the Packers do need to get another back into the rotation, at least theoretically, at least theoretically, DeGuara can do stuff like that. If Aaron Rodgers actually lets him do stuff like that, or if he allows him on the field, given their seemingly contentious relationship, um, that, I guess, remains to be seen, but it's something to keep an eye on, uh, especially as it looks like the Packers are going to be a little bit shorthanded when it comes to running backs here in the near future. Uh, Uniform notes today. Uh, Billy Turner was having some cleat issues today, and that made me notice that uh, he apparently wears low-top cleats, something I have not seen before. It looks like he has a custom job there, pretty cool-looking outfit, and hopefully his ankles hold up there too. Probably doesn't make all that much difference, but it, you know, that's just maybe that's the old basketball player in me, just concerned about the low tops. Uh, maybe it's just the person with bad ankles in me that's just concerned about anybody rolling their ankles. I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, Got to look good to play good. If you uh, come from the Deion Sanders school of thoughts. Uh, speaking of accessories, AJ Dillon uh, wears a Packers branded backplate under his uh, his shoulder pads which is pretty cool and something I had not seen with the Packers before, uh, but you could see it peeking through his jersey. Uh, just another nifty little accessory. Speaking of tiny details, we had a multiplayer Lambo leap in the first time I can remember in a long time. So A.J. Dillon scores the touchdown, uh, goes to leap into the Lambeau Field north end zone stands, and who comes along with him? Elton Jenkins, who had absolutely no problem clearing the wall, even at 300 pounds. Reminds me of the good old days. Uh, it used to be when the Packers would score a touchdown way way back in the mid-90s that it would be like a parade to the stands, player after player after player jumping in there uh, all at once. You don't see that as much anymore, but good to see it today. Finally, last, uh, last little nugget from this game, 451st home win for the Packers. This, according to the broadcast, uh, that moves them past the Bears for first all-time in home wins. Great news for the Packers. Always nice to be ahead of the Bears in something. 
That's all I've got for you in this episode. Hope you enjoyed the Packers win. Hope you are enjoying a victory Monday, wherever you happen to be listening to this. Uh, Take a second, relax, stop and smell the roses. Your team won. Should feel good about that. Uh, Even if it wasn't the prettiest of wins, it's a win. And the Packers are 8-2 and two through 10 games. If you enjoyed this podcast, it'd mean a lot to me if you would share it with somebody you think would enjoy it as well. It's going to help us grow this show and get people more involved in this conversation you and I and everybody are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become a smarter Packers fan. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. Better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.